0: Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to Ministry Monday wherever you listen to your podcasts each week, and thank you for listening to us today. Today is part three of our mini-series focusing on the Exultet. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the two previous episodes on the Exultet, I highly encourage you to check them out as well. In week 1, we explored the historical context of the Exultet, and in week 2, we worked on learning the Exultet in the most musical and prayerful way, even if the person preparing the Exultet may or may not have a strong musical background. This week, Tony Alonzo, composer and director of Catholic Studies at Emory University, reflects on the cultural and linguistic needs in a bilingual community. What is the best solution for the exultate when a parish speaks both English and Spanish? What are some of the things we need to consider? How do we truly include all who worship in our church? Today on Ministry Monday, I'm talking to Tony Alonso. Hi, Tony. How are you?
1: Hey, Amanda. I'm great. Good to be here.
0: Thank you. Thank you for being here today on Ministry Monday for part three of our Exultets conversation. So before we get into the meat of what we're going to talk about, what have you been up to lately? I mean, I, I can't believe it, but you and I were just talking before we started recording that it's been two years since we last spoke on the podcast. We had talked about your album, Caminemos con Jesus, which has been two years and yet it feels like seven years since I last talked to you. So what have you been up to?
1: Yes, it was a long two years. The world kind of <laughs> rapidly changed soon after we talked. Right. Um, this year, so I, I'm a professor at Emory University here in Atlanta, Candler School of Theology, and I'm the director of the Catholic Studies program. But this year, I'm actually on research leave, which means I have an entire year to wake up every morning and write and or think about and or agonize about writing. So pretty much <laughs> most of my days are consumed with research and writing. Um, this entire academic year. It's been a real gift um, and a challenge, Um, but as signs of spring, both uh, you know, in the season, but also in the world are showing, um, it's kind of exciting to think about getting back to, you know, meeting in person with NPM this summer. Um, RE Congress in Los Angeles is coming up in a couple of weeks. Yes. So yeah, so I'm looking forward to, to connecting with a lot of people, Um, you know, it, it helped me realize this time of isolation, like how much I, you know, treasure the kind of relationships that we have in these communities. And I'm excited to reconnect with people.
0: I am too. I am too, for the same reason. And I'm also excited in a similar reason for Triduum this year and Lent in general, because, you know, I think about the last two Lenten seasons and not to focus on 2020, because I know everyone that's listening has focused on 2020 for two years. But there has been such a shift for the last two Lenten seasons that I really am looking forward to journeying in this Lenten journey with a a fuller congregation than maybe some of us have. You know, this time last year, um, vaccinations were not fully, you know, available yet to the public. So it's a different Lent. And so I'm looking forward to taking the time to examine our journey together and look at what is best so that we can offer the best opportunity for full active and conscious participation from all that are gathered this year i I think it's going to be not a joyful lent (laughs) as father paul turner would say it's a a miserable lent but it's a a renewing lent a a very you know introspective lent for me
1: yeah it feels like a necessary lent like yeah exactly right Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, for the last two weeks, like I mentioned, we've been talking about the exaltat. The first week we spoke with Father Paul Turner about the historical context. Uh, Last week we spoke with Nicholas Will, who talked about learning the exaltat, especially if you don't have a musical background. Today we're going to take it one step further and look at bilingual considerations for the exaltat. So Let's just start right right from the beginning, Tony. What are some of the practical considerations for a bilingual parish when it comes to the exalted?
1: Well, first, let me say, I just love that we're geeking out about the exalted for three whole ministry Mondays. (laughs) That's just incredible. And I'm (laughs) glad to be geeking out with you about it. Thank you. Um, In terms of um, thinking about the practical considerations of proclaiming the bilingual exalted, I think it's important to note right off the bat that even preparing the uh, exalted in a single language is just a ton of work and requires an incredible amount of care and preparation. It's one of the most ancient hymns of the church and also one of the longest. And so it's really something to start thinking about practicing and praying weeks. And that's why I appreciate that you're starting this now or even months before you actually are going to do it. And I know whenever I've had the privilege of proclaiming the exalted, I sense the weight of that responsibility. And for a bilingual community, it's even more weighty and it's even more tricky. There are lots of very basic questions. Are we gonna proclaim it in a single language? If so, how do we decide which of the, the languages we're gonna proclaim it in? Are we gonna proclaim it in one, uh, more than one language? And if we do that, how are we gonna split it up? What's permitted, what's not permitted, what makes sense? And then of course, who is going to proclaim this? Because as you know, it's hard enough to find someone who has the abilities and stamina to pray it in one language. Uh, If you're gonna do it in two, like who's gonna do that? And and I think who is proclaiming it also communicates a lot to a diverse community. And then perhaps most importantly, how will this entire assembly of diverse people hear themselves, see themselves, experience their, their relationship with God in this prayer that's at the heart of the year. So I think there are very practical questions and basic questions, but they also like contain multitudes.
0: I agree. I agree. So we've talked about the practical considerations for one language, which we've actually kind of explored, you know, for two weeks now. And now we're looking at encompassing and welcoming and embodying a community that speaks so many different languages and just comes from so many different cultural backgrounds. So What would be, in your opinion, the best solution to offer for the exalted in one language or splitting it into alternating linguistic phrases? Now, I know that's kind of a loaded question when I say that, because every parish is different. You have to do its best. But in your experience, in your opinion, what would you recommend as a solution?
1: Yeah, I'll echo you and say that I don't think it's a black and white answer. And also it will save me from being, um, you know, challenge too much on the blogs if they say (laughs) everybody should make up their own (laughs) (laughs) but i think that so much that happens during the three days in a bilingual parish really does require the specific pastoral expertise sensitivity and discernment of the leaders of a particular community and each parish has its own realities and I, i really do believe that Um, So I'll speak to my reality and kind of let you listen in on that reality and maybe um, that'll help people in their own discernment of, of their community. So like many parishes in the US, my parish here in Atlanta for a very long time was an almost exclusively English praying parish. But in the last couple of decades, we've seen a huge influx of Latino Catholics. Um, at the last several Easter vigils, I would say that about 80% or so of the people we've initiated are Latino, Latina. Wow. So in, and we, we initiate a lot of people. I mean, the Archdiocese of Atlanta is really a growing um, place. So even though the long ethos of the parish is one thing, the present reality is is another, and it's constantly shifting. So it's hard for me to imagine looking out at the community gathered for the vigil at my parish and chant such an important prayer only in English, when so many of the people that are gonna be received that night into this church and their families are primarily Spanish speakers. That would There would be a kind of a disjoint there, a disconnect. But likewise, it's hard for me to imagine praying it completely in English, because about half the assembly or so, less less and less, but still about half are primarily English speakers. And I'd also add, you know, not everybody that's um, Latino, Latina speaks Spanish, and not everyone that's Latino, Latina has feels most comfortable in Spanish, so there's all kinds of complex realities. But whatever the case, I, I think for me the reality is that thoughtfully alternating phrases or long portions of the exalted makes most sense for our community. and there's no exact way to do this, right like there there's no prohibition um, that I'm aware of uh, of doing this <laughs> but there's also no explicit permission for it right like so many of things we do in in multilingual liturgy, bilingual liturgy, you know there's no multilingual Roman Missal there's <laughs> there's the right. Roman. Miss- these languages, okay. so you really have to to do the discernment with care. Um, so there's no exact way of doing it. I have spent a lot of time um, over the years thinking about what makes makes logical sense, what flows linguistically, and what flows musically, um, so that the entire community is, is getting some sense of what's being prayed. Um, so, I, and again, that's not a black and white answer. But I spend a lot of time thinking about that when I approach the exalted text. And it's worked well for us in, in my community. I mean, I can honestly say that no one at my parish has ever, uh, at least to me, and you know, people are not shy to express their musical opinions as pastoral <laughs> musicians, no. That's correct. Has ever expressed a desire that they would only hear it in one language. I mean, it's, it's almost like it's become part of the texture of the way our community hears the exalted. Like, I don't think people could imagine it another way. But I think it's taken a long time to get there and and a great amount of care in how we we piece it together um, to get to that point.
0: Can you share a little bit of how you did piece it together to get to that point?
1: Yeah, I mean, I so I've been proclaiming the exalted and or, um, you know, preparing others to proclaim it in bilingual communities for a long time. The the first church that I was the full time music minister at in, in Evanston was kind of my baptism into, uh, pardon the pun, into the <laughs> Uh even though my, my father is Cuban and my mother is Minnesotan, um, we primarily worshiped in English growing up, mm-hmm. save when we would visit my grandparents in Miami. So my experience of the vigil up to that point was, was pretty much only in English. Um, and so to hear the kind of blending of, of languages uh, really was exciting for me. I mean, it felt like coming home in a way to something I had never, been to, but it was like, yes, this, this is me. So I spent a lot of time, you know, with the text. I mean, I, there, there's really no um, science to it, right? It, it's like, it, it's not that different actually than composing. I mean, I, except it's a pre-existing thing, I would spend a lot of time singing, you know, breaking it up in different ways. And sometimes it would feel like, no, you know, if, if this text goes on for this long in this language, they're going to totally miss the sentiment of this section, right? So it's a kind of be a, being attentive to the various sections and making sure that everybody's kind of being able to listen in and, and understand particular phrases and words. I think, you know, one thing that, that, I, that has kind of remained constant is there's that whole, almost like a, a litanaic part in the exalted of, this is the night, this is the night, este es la noche, este es la noche. And that, um, to me, like almost calls out for a back and forth between the languages. So there are some some parts that, to me, kind of like call out for a particular approach. Other parts are really tricky. Um, I've I've recently been revisiting this uh, for a project I've been working on and and really thinking through, okay, like really, why why did you choose to proclaim this in English and that in Spanish Uh, is a challenge, right? but I think mainly that my primary driving force probably in all of my liturgical music but including especially the exalted is the text and making sure that the fullness of the prayer is somehow heard even if you only understand the English or you only understand the Spanish.
0: Okay so we've talked about of course the context of making sure that in a bilingual community both commu- both Segment segments or fractions of those who understand Spanish or English feel welcomed included in like you said who un- they they really understand and feel that depth of the text. Let's shift it a little bit and let's talk about best representing the misal Romano so how if we were in a Spanish speaking only community or we wanted to just proclaim the exalted in Spanish, how do we best represent the misal Romano Spanish only exalted.
1: You know, I don't think that there's any particular way to represent the Spanish that's necessarily different than how one would prepare the English. I think that careful preparation in any language is just essential. And that preparation, of course, isn't just about learning the words and the notes but praying with the words, paying attention to the structure, practicing conveying the depth of the text. I mean, these are some of the conversations you've been having in in previous episodes. So I don't mean to sound redundant, but in a way, I don't think there's a a big difference in how how that's proclaimed. I mean, when you start to think about what setting to use and I'll I'll show my cards that I I prefer the chant, Um, you know, even though I myself have composed uh, a setting, at least in English, of the exalted um, for communities that want something accompanied and whatnot. I still prefer the chant. And I think as far as preparing that chant in English or in Spanish, I, I haven't found a big difference. I find it a, a difference when I proclaim it bilingually, because there's something about having to switch between the two. But the preparation to me is uh, remains the same in both
0: Are there any cultural considerations that we need to be aware of or be cognizant of when preparing the exalted in Spanish only?
1: So I'll mention like a seemingly straightforward one and probably you and some of your listeners will go like, well, of course, but, (laughs) um, and that's, if it's going to be proclaimed in Spanish only in a bilingual community, let it be proclaimed by a Spanish speaker. And I know this sounds basic but sometimes it feels like in these huge moments of the liturgical year, where kind of like the longer history of the church has been largely English speakers. These major musical moments are sometimes given to like a well-known cantor in the community, right? Like this is a big musical moment. So we have to give it to so-and-so even if it's not their primary language. And I think that's one way that it can go really wrong. Um, And I think it's really important textually that it's not, um, ideally not a Spanish as a second language cantor even, or if it is, and I have to say I have had some fantastic cantors who, who really know Spanish very well and they've done beautifully with it, they really need to be comfortable inhabiting the language. Because, you know, it's it's not like singing a verse of the communion song in Spanish, right? Right, uh, right. And I, I I don't like, I mean, I really do appreciate when people who are not primarily Spanish speakers take the risk of trying a verse in Spanish and vice versa. I think that's beautiful. Um, I think the exalted is one of those prayers though, that it's, it's really for the advanced placement crew linguistically, right? <laughs> and so that's one thing I would say. Um, but I think another... Uh, you know, it's just being attentive to, to who's in front of you. What's their story? What's the story of this place? For me, the way in which I chant the Exalted, no matter how, how much I prepare, being in front of these people in this place at this time really shapes how ultimately I'm going to sing that. So I do spend a lot of time in my preparation thinking about that. And like I say, in our community, like so many of the people being initiated are Latino, Latina, so i'm constantly thinking about them and praying for and with them when i'm when i'm preparing
0: especially because too i have always looked with a special level of affection for those who are in our cia about to be initiated and welcomed fully into the church on that easter vigil because there is something i have seen about that extra glow if their faces underneath the candles as they're experiencing Easter vigil because Easter vigil is a special special liturgy there's nothing else like it, in my opinion, throughout the year. it's so unique and it really is so joyful to watch the RCIA candidates experience it too. with them also knowing that they're about to go through the final stages of their initiation in the church
1: yeah i I think about that too like some years when it's really cold i don't want to go outside before i have to sing for 12 minutes (laughs) but i always do um because i just can't not i can't imagine not being out there around the fire with the catechumens candidates and, and just kind of that whole beginning of the liturgy the procession in shape so much of how I ultimately proclaim that exalted that I can't bring myself to just kind of be waiting inside. <laughs> but I, I, I feel you on that.
0: So are there any other things you'd like to mention in regards to the exalted?
1: Um, I mean, I could talk about the exalted all day, but um, <laughs> a couple thoughts, you know, when you, sometimes when when people talk about doing something bilingually, there's a lot of talk of sacrifice, right? Like, well, I didn't understand everything because I don't speak that language and it's true. I mean, when you do multilingual liturgy, bilingual liturgy, often like everybody is being asked to give up something that they would prefer. Hmm. And one of those things that they're asked to give up is total intelligibility of every prayer in their own language. And that's, that's a big deal, right? Like that matters. Um, but I think there are, uh, of course, I mean, a side note is, of course, I think there's so much more to be gained by, by giving that up, and I do think, you know, the church calls us to to give up things. But I would say this that I think the Exalted is is not a prayer, even when it's proclaimed in a single language, that you're going to absorb in a hearing anyway, right? Like if, when it's chanted fully in English or fully in Spanish, it's not like everybody like is going to remember that prayer. I mean, it's it's so dense and so rich. I mean, as a person who Sings it, proclaims it year by year. I know that every year I am like discovering something new about the text. So it's good to remember that it's not about just like a didactic, you know, proclamation of the text so people n- intellectually know it, right? And I, so I think that one of the things that I would love to see more of um, is more preaching on the exalted. Um, I think it's a beautiful. Uh, source for preaching both at the vigil but throughout the entire Easter season. I mean there is stuff in there that I mean you could you could preach the entire Easter season you could weave in the exalted. Um, I know in, in other songs that I've written for the Easter season I weave in phrases of the exalted because they're just they beautifully communicate the fullness of the season. And I also think then that's another way to help the assembly who may not have caught portions of it in their own language unfold the fullness of the meeting. So I think catechesis um, and preaching is a huge thing that that people don't appreciate about the exalted. And when, because it's only proclaimed once a year, I really, I really wish people would take up that invitation. There's so much richness. Um, in terms of the preparation, uh, this isn't particular to Spanish and bilingual uh, liturgy, but I'll say that I, I really think it's important to practice in the space. I have a, a practice every uh, Easter Saturday when the church is being kind of either decorated, right. for the vigil, adorned for the vigil, or, um, or when it's empty. Ideally, I prefer it when it's empty of just practicing in the space.
0: And then the other thing is,
1: you know, uh, a, a basic tip. Don't forget to practice in the dark. <laughs> 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 I have had experiences, you know, even though there, there's a paschal candle and perhaps other um, minimal light, um, I have had experiences in churches where the light there is no a lot of light, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I never really thought about this until this moment. Before I'm about <laughs> to launch into this, I really think through the lighting <laughs> so you don't have the panic attack that I have had at times. Um, but most of all, I just think you know, if you're called upon, or should I say, invited to to proclaim the exalted, like it's such an incredible blessing and honor, like take it seriously and and take your time with it. Don't dust that thing off on the Wednesday before. (laughs) Pray with it. Pray with the words and and don't just pray with it in terms of your own personal prayer life. That's important. But like, what is, what, what does this assembly this year need to hear about this? And how am I going to make that come alive? And as we started this conversation, thinking about kind of like, this is going to be our first you know, foolish to to them in a couple of years in, right? In light of the last couple, you know, what do people need to hear? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of phrases in there, a lot of beauty in there, a lot of challenge in there that our communities need to hear. And so I think sitting with that, um, in many ways, it's like a preacher sitting with the scriptures, because when you proclaim that thing, the way you proclaim certain phrases is a kind of preaching.
0: Absolutely. And I really do think, like you said, there's such beauty in it that, like you said, I mean, I think three episodes isn't even enough to cover everything on the Exultat. <laughs> but again, that's just me. I've always found the Exultat to be such a a beautiful, unique part because, and this is this is my cynicism playing through, but when else do we have a captive audience with hot molten wax in their hands if they're holding candles and they stay still and are so engrossed in like nine minutes of chant that they only hear once a year i mean really there's something to me that's so magnetic and standing it's standing (laughs) for nine minutes i mean really it's to me it's it's beautiful (laughs) it it is a lot of pressure Well, before we wrap up today, I do have a question similar to this. Um, You have actually recently published something with GIA called Gloriosi, and I think it would tie in so well. So, can you kind of share a little bit about what that is?
1: Yeah. So, pretty much from my first uh, ministry experience as a full time music minister that I mentioned earlier in in Evanston, um, I have celebrated the Triduum bilingually. And I was surprised when I first went to do it, how kind of homespun everything was like, you know, people writing in translations of verses and like, you know, you know, old Xerox copies of this and that. And this <laughs> And it was, there was something beautiful about it, but I was surprised that there was not some kind of comprehensive resource right. because, you know, in the last 10, 20 years, I mean, so many parishes celebrate the Triduum bilingually. And so ever since then, I've kind of been searching, like, this has to be out there, right? Someone's done this. And like so many of my projects, it's kind of like, I would say the vast majority of the liturgical music projects I've done have started with me saying like, gosh, I hope someone's done this. And then I go looking for it. And then I ha- I'm i surprised that it hasn't been done. I'm like, well, I guess the, you know, the ball's in my hand. Um, so I've always um, wanted this project. Um, and then Slowly decided I wanted to do this project, but it, it's enormously challenging. I mean, a comprehensive triduum resource—I don't even know if, if one exists completely in English, to be honest with you. I mean, other than you know, if you look just like the Roman missal chants as a as a cohesive right. thing, um, maybe it does. I don't know, but nothing in nothing bilingually, and so you know, like forty discrete pieces of music. Um, And then thinking about like how to represent two languages. It's just an enormous amount of work. So I've been wanting to do it basically for, you know, 20 years Uh, and it really represents my, this isn't like a project I started two years ago and said, I'm gonna do this bilingual true project. I mean, it's kind of been like slowly in the works um, born of my own needs over time. Um, At my church in Atlanta, I feel like every year it's like, I don't know that that psalm's quite the right setting for us, so I'll write a new (laughs) one, and I'll ask my music minister if we can try it out, and we will, and I'll make tweaks, and so it all culminated finally in this project called Gloriosi, which is a completely comprehensive collection of music for the bilingual triduum. I'm really excited about it. I don't expect that, you know, people are going to buy it and use every single piece for their Twitter people have their beloved pieces, but I really wanted to represent the whole thing. So like everything is there for those, you know, who need it.
0: Wow. That's great. And it's available now, correct?
1: It's available. Yeah. As of oh, like two weeks ago.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Oh, well, first off, congratulations on that huge, huge goal, huge accomplishment. If I remember correctly, you are going to be talking About this topic at the npm convention this year, is that correct?
1: I am. I don't know what the terminology is these days, but I think it it, is the word mega. Is is there a word? I
0: do believe (laughs) so. Yes, I'm. I'm (laughs) quietly pulling out my uh, convention brochure right here, and to my knowledge, you were doing two mega breakouts, which just means that they're extended in duration. Um, About this exact topic. They are called We Should Glory in the Cross, Preparing the Bilingual Triduum with Style and Grace.
1: Yes, yes. I'm really looking forward to that Um, because I know that people who um, take on this work of preparing a bilingual Triduum, like they really do want to do it well. And there aren't always the resources out there to support it. And so I'm I'm anxious to help think through this with people and share some of the new music and um, yeah, help people prepare these with Style and Grace.
0: I think this is such an important topic it really is because first off I mean Lenten Triduum is such an anchor of what we believe in Christianity in Catholicism and to again like you've spoken many times before I've heard you discuss it is so crucial in our work to truly do the work that represents those who sit at the table really and so I think this work is so important and I thank you for doing it
1: Thank you. I'm I'm so grateful for npm support of, of my work and our work. And uh great to be back on Ministry Mondays and hopefully we're on the upswing of the world. I
0: know now, like last time. <laughs> I know. I know it is insane to think that the last time we spoke, we were two or three weeks away from our worlds completely changing. But I hope that you have a I don't want to say a normal Lent, because again, that's not the right type of mentality, but I hope that you find moments again of prayerfulness and renewal and contemplation um, so that you can, as as a musician and as a person of the church, help bring other people there, too.
1: Thank you so much, Amanda. I appreciate it.
0: Exalt, let
2: them exalt the hosts of heaven. Exalt, let angel ministers of God exalt. At the trumpet of salvation sound aloud our mighty King's triumph. Gose también la tierra inundada de tanta claridad y que radiante con el fulgor del rey eterno. Thanks
0: so much to Tony for his time today, and thanks also to Father Paul Turner and Nicholas Will for their time during this Exalted mini-series. I'd also like to extend a special word of thanks to the International Commission on English in the Liturgy, or ISIL, for their permissions during these episodes. The recording of the Easter proclamation, Pregon Pasquale, Pascual, was produced by GIA Publications and comes from Tony Alonso's Gloriosi Collection. Today's theme music was produced by Aaron Schaus, and today's episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday.
2: Me agrego al numero de los ministros Complete mi alabanza este sirio Infundiendo el resplandor de su